Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend, my co-host, Jamie Wagner. Jamie, good to see you. You as well. Uh, excited to dive into this one today. I, I mentioned it in the podcast. This is a coach I used to coach against when I was a track coach, uh, Jeff Morris, head cross-country coach at Purim. And, and really, in a lot of ways, their success speaks for itself, right? You know, I think on the guy side, they've won like eight or nine state championships. On the girl side, four state championships. Been in the top five, you know, year in, year out with consistency since Jeff has been there. The thing that stood out to me, however, was how easy and relational he is and how clearly that is just built into the program. And it's why the numbers are what they are. And we've said it before. We've said it a million times. It's a relationship business. When you do that well, you can build programs. You can build amazing successes, companies, organizations, whatever it is, because you, you're willing to go that little bit extra to have meaningful relationships with people. Some people have it easy. I think Jeff was one of those. I agree. And I, I keep thinking about, I actually, I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter or social media, but I actually responded to somebody the other day about, they were talking about Sean McVay, the Rams head coach. And I happen to have a, a spot in my heart right now for the Rams because my quarterback, Matthew Stafford of the Detroit Lions, you know, he's, he's in the playoffs. He's going to, he won his first game, you know, whatever. Anyway, they were, they were kind of bashing it. McVeigh and like, oh, he's too good. He thinks he's blah, blah, blah. He's the, the gift to the world. And I think we get into this spot where people have success. We see how they carry themselves and we dislike it because we create this picture, right? And so often it's the exact opposite. When you start to talk to people and I'm not, I knew nothing about Jeff until we talked to him when he popped up on the screen, but I knew that he was successful. I knew that they were elite and there's a connotation with that, right? And when you when you start to talk to him, I, I shared this afterwards, and hopefully he's listening and he under, he hears this, but he's a guy that I want to be around. I want in my life because it's easy and he challenges me and it feels comfortable, right? And so there's no question why they have had this success that they have and, and consistency and, and continued greatness. So I'm excited to share this. I, I knew nothing of, of Perm, but they are elite. You're going to grow from this. Here we go. Coach Jeff Morris, Perm Cross Country and Track. You're the head coach for Cross Country and assistant in track. Our paths have crossed a number of times. I was a track coach at a, at a rival school or a, com a competitor school. I wouldn't say we were rivals necessarily, but one of the things that I would, I thought was great about competing against Perm is it felt like you guys raised our level and we had to kind of chase you. And that was always yep. a fun thing to do. And so I, I wanted to, it felt like a good frame for the conversation today. Cause I hope you can come and raise our level a little bit today. We're excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you so much. So you have been at Perm since 2002. Is that right? Yeah, correct. There. Yep. And the, the transformation in Perm cross country felt a little bit immediate. I don't know the backstory, a ton of what Perm was like before you got there, but I know what it's been like since you, since you've been there, which yeah, has been yeah. crazy successful. So what did you walk into when you got out there? Well, I definitely walked into Gabe Anderson, Gabe Grunewald. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of nice. Um, they had a, 
they had some coaches that did a good job of getting some interest. They just wasn't starting to get some interest and the program had kind of started up. It had, it had folded and then came back and a couple of coaches brought it back. And in the late nineties, like 98, 99, 2000, there was some, uh, about a group of girls that, you know, they got out of about six or seven girls and they were able to get them to state a couple of times, I think two times before I got here. And then they were able to get one guy's team, but they always were kind of flirting with that number of, you know, a total seven through 12 team of, you know, anywhere from 13 to 18 kids. And um, the coach right before I got here had done a good job of trying to get some basketball players to come out sure. and had a couple of kids. Uh, but the year I got here in 2002, they had never won a conference title. Um, so that was something immediately that I wanted to be able to do. And I had coached two years in North Carolina before arriving to Perm. And I was actually starting to kind of develop a program there. In two years, I got a team to state right away. And, and I just kind of felt like it was on the verge of doing something. But my wife's from Minnesota. Okay. So she, she won. She drug me up here. And uh, um, so when I got here, though, there were kids out. So it was nice to have some kids that were interested and out. And, uh, but the guys had finished last in the section the year before I got here. So, uh, and then you guys got fourth in state. Yes. The next year we got for it. So it came, yeah, it came from a team and they had their best runner ever, Jake Janiszewski, who ended up going to NDSU. So he had graduated out of the program That's and they incredible. were eighth in the section the year before. <laughs> so, so a little frame for, for the listening audience out there in your 20 years there, you've been in the top five in the state for the guys every year, I think, right? In one, 19... one, one time we finished six, but every time okay. we've been in the top four. And you've won uh, just innumerable state and conference and section championships. You guys are the bastion of consistent excellence in small town. And even you guys compete with the biggest schools in the state. You know, you go and run yeah. with yep. the Wyzettas and the Dinas and the Minnetonkas of the world, and you compete with them at a high level. My, my primary question about where this came from is, is how have you been able to do it with such consistency? Because I think that's what we're all after in everything yeah. we do in life is, is how do we create consistency? And you guys have just been incredibly effective at that. Uh, people always ask me this. And I, you know, one of the things about the program, I don't think we're doing like training wise, you could compare anything we're doing to anybody else. And you're going to find people are doing the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think what I've, and I've definitely learned a lot over the years. I made a lot of mistakes when I first started, but I think I stumbled onto some good things. Uh, and I think for me, motivation has probably been the biggest thing. I was just always self-motivated as a high school student. I went out, I, I went from a kid who was, you know, as a sophomore in high school, I was wanted to be the good kid on the team, but I had a teammate who was second in state as a sophomore. So that drove me to want to be like, I want to be as good as him. He's in my grade. He ran like 1558. I ran like 1720. I was like, how can I be good like him? And I went out and trained my, I, I trained as hard as I could that next summer, went to a couple of cross country camps and I ended up second state the next year. And for me, it was just something I think I realized for myself, gosh, this is what happens if you put in hard work. So when I went into college, I ran at a small D one school in North Carolina, Campbell university. I, I, I was always the most motivated guy on the team. It didn't always work out that well in college because I was injured a lot, but nobody ever had to worry about what I was going to do in the summer and the off season. So I think a lot of what I learned in my own running what I learned from my coaches uh, in high school and college, I have to attribute some, you know, definitely a lot to them, not just some, but a lot to them because I learned, I had good cross country coaches in high school and college. And so 
for me, that framed how I wanted to be as a coach. And I think the thing that I realized is that if you're going to win a state title or whatever it is, whatever goals you want to have in any sport, half the work is done in the off season. When you show up on day one, forget it. It's over. If you haven't done it in the off season, you're already behind. And I always tell the kids when we get to the first day of practice, half the season's over. So whatever we do now at that point is going to be small gains against all the other teams in the state. So we better have already made our gains uh, because, you know, day one, everybody's going to be working hard. Like I could go down to Pelican Rapids. I could go over to Pequot Lakes. I could go to uh, East Grand Forks. I could go to YZ. We're all working hard. So it's hard to make gains. So you have to realize where you can make those gains. So uh, one of the things I did right away was just really making kids believe that half the work has to be done in the off season. And so I used a trigger for kids. I don't make the goal to go out and run. I make the goal to put on your running clothes. So the first day of summer, I always tell the kid, your goal is to put your running clothes on and put your shoes on and walk out the door. If you do that, I guarantee you'll run. Now, every now and then I've had a couple of kids get outside and kind of fake it, snap me a picture and say, I got my run in. And I'm like, man, you look like you've never sweated before. Um, <laughs> you know, but that, that's been for me, is just, just trying to find those trigger. And then I guess off that is just with that is also making them believe in a philosophy of what our program is about. I, I shared this with my son last night. He's, he's, he wants to be a, a high school coach. He's at Concordia right now playing basketball. And, and he was asking me for a coaching class. He's like, what's your philosophy about? I said, you have to keep it simple enough to where everybody can tell you right on hand. You know, you have those vision statements, mission statements that nobody ever remembers. Well, I tried to formulate something of our core values that every kid would be able to tell me this is what we're about. And that it relates to every kid, regardless of what role they are on the team, regardless if they're the best runner or the worst runner, they can all take those core values and say, this is how it relates to me. And this is how I can bring something to the team. So that's kind of, I guess, where it started. And Jamie, all of these conversations that we have, and, and it usually, especially with elite programs and coaches, it comes back to this, right? Yeah. Simple, identifiable, know your foundation, get kids to buy in, and then you know, yeah. the work is done, right? Yeah. Because yeah, th th now they're there. So coach, I hear you talking about motivation and I heard you describe yourself as self-motivated, you know, all throughout high school, you wanted to compete with, with people next to you. How do you get that out of your kids? Because not all kids are self-motivated to say, Hey, mm -hmm. my teammate was second in the state. I want to be that. How do I get from where I am at and close that gap to where they are? How do you, how do you work with those kind of kids? Yeah, that's crazy. My son asked this very question last night and I said, great minds think to, alike. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you have to get, I, I guess my biggest belief is every kid has to feel valued. If they feel valued, I, it doesn't matter. They're not just a PR. They're just not a number on the team. They have to have, they're, they're a name, they're a person on the team and they have to have value. And one of the things that we do at practice, we, we do a couple things, uh, but I make sure every kid at practice, we know they're there that day. I mean, we have 80 kids show up for practice nowadays. So I make sure when we're at practice, every kid knows that I know that they're there. Uh, and if they're not there, like if we have a kid missing, I immediately grab my phone and I text them, how you doing? Why, you know, what's up? You're not at practice. And so we do a lot of that stuff to make sure everybody knows that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the front runner or the back runner, you have a place on the team, you're valued and, and whatever gifting that you have, it may be that you're the fastest runner. It may be that you're the back runner, but you're the best encourager on our team, or you're the kid that gets people pumped up in workouts. And, and when you can give them 
understand that when they're not there, something is missing and they know that, that, that brings motivation, I think, to those kids. Absolutely. You, you talk about having a, that number of athletes in a small town and uh, running, right? Cross yeah. country, yeah. like run, running, distance running. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you guys, your top athletes are running between 40 and 60 miles a week or more, you know, like yeah. that's a, yep. that's a normal thing. You have got 80 kids from a small town to say, I'm going to sign up for that. What, what is the thing that gets them to come and join that process? Because most of us hear that and we're like, yeah, that pass I'm out on, yeah. on yeah, that. Exactly. Um, but that's not the choice that, that those athletes have made. And I assume that it's more to do than it's, it's way more than running. It's feeling valued. It's some of those things, but what else are you doing to, to bring people on board? Cause it's not a, it's not an obvious high participation sport. Yeah. I think, well, I think one thing that cross country offers and, and if you watch the big programs, the, the programs that have big numbers, you know, obviously you got bigger schools, it's easier to get more numbers out. But even, you know, when you hear like a wide that has 300 people, they're not all running varsity. So how are they out? And I, I get this a lot with the kids. We'll go speak at the elementary school every year at the sixth graders that are coming into seventh grade. And I take over and we, we, we get in front of every sixth grader in the spring and talk about cross country. And I almost cringe every year because the kids will get up in front and they'll say, I hate running. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's not what you need to say. And I actually had to put a rule and say, you can't say that when you're up there. But then they go right away and they say, I don't do it for the running. Obviously, we like to compete. We like to do well. And the success obviously recruits. Um, but they'll every year I go there, they'll say the same thing. They'll say, this is my family. And I know that's such a cliche thing, but we really believe that we try and build uh, you know, a culture of family. And, and that goes back to making sure every kid feels valued. Uh, but the, the, the thing with family is they all say that they just have so much fun. We try and do things that, that create, you know, great experiences, uh, experiences that they'll remember for a lifetime, that they'll go back and say, like cross country camp this past year, couldn't do what we normally do with COVID. I always take the kids to, for a week, we go by ourselves and we go to Duluth or Bemidji and we stay in the dorms. This year, like, well, we couldn't really do that with COVID because the university wasn't allowing us. So I was like, we're going to camp out. And I did that my first four years at Itasca. And then as soon as we could get in the dorms, the kids were like, yes. I was like, you know, we're going to go back. We're going to camp. I've never camped with 50, 60 kids. Um, so we have about, you know, 70% of our team goes. So we had 55 kids up. First night, we're there. No lie. It hasn't rained. You remember last summer, it hadn't yeah. rained really. We get to Duluth, it hasn't rained in a month. It is an absolute, tor there was uh, tornado warnings. We're in tents. We have to go down to Target. We come back to the campsite and literally I had a couple of my parents stay up there. They were holding tents down and every tent was flooded except for one tent of a seventh grade boy who said he picked, he pitched his tent in the middle because he's a Cub Scout kind of guy and, uh, or, or Boy Scout or whatever it is. And he's like, this is where I'm gonna put my tent. Everybody else was flooded. Jacob McClary, all these guys, flooded tents. And that's what they talk about. They talk about, man, that was so awesome. Even though it was miserable that night, they talk about the experiences. So we try and build in a lot of those experiences where it's not just going to be about the running. It's not just going to be about how we do at the Malacca Mega Meet or if we win an OCHOA conference title, but it's going to be all those things that happen along the way. And so we have kind of a philosophy, John Wooden, enjoy the journey. And, and that's what we really make it all about. 
And I, coach, I, I am a self-proclaimed hater of running. I mean, every, everybody who's listened to our podcast knows that I am not, I don't believe I'm built for running. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. But just hearing you talk about it and hearing you talk about how you get kids to buy into, hey, this is more than running. This is about yeah. our relationships. It's about the experiences that you're going to have that you're not going to remember maybe the races, but you're going to remember your flooded tent in Duluth in 2020, yeah, absolutely. whatever it is, <laughs> right? Um, so something that Jamie and I were just talking about beforehand and and he, he in enlightened me too. But one of the things that is fascinating, it seems like coach is that more often than not, your teams win because of depth. Mm -hmm. It's it's not necessarily that you have the top five runners in the state every year, but yeah, you win because exactly. you've built depth. And I mean, you've talked about your numbers and, and getting a bunch of kids out. And I think some of that is, you know, indicative of winning, you know, you have more to choose yep. from, right? But yeah, talk a little bit about how you try to build depth and how you rotate through that depth in your in your program. I think, I think one of the blessings in disguise of being in a small school is you have to look at kids and say, you know what, maybe at a bigger school, a coach would just be like, this kid's not going to be any good. I have to look at every kid and see that potentially they could be somebody who can contribute to my team. And I think that's been a blessing to me. Uh, because I've had kids that start out in junior high. I have this one gal uh, and she won't mind me talking about her because she ended up being just such a special person in her program. But she's actually, uh, she's actually a, a secretary here. She works in the, the office now. Her name was Shayla Fulford. And uh, when she came out in middle school, I just wanted, like when I first started coaching, I was always kind of looking for those bread and butter kids. You know, the kids that you can kind of say, oh, this kid's going to be really good and I can build my team around that. I've changed over the years. I probably give my best runners. Jacob McClary probably says, yeah, coach, he never talks to me because I don't need to worry about him. Uh, he does the workouts. He does the training. He buys in. I've got to convince the kids that, hey, if they could potentially really, you know, do all the little things, maybe they're not going to be a 16 minute runner, but I think I can get them to be sub 18. I can get them to be sub 17. I can get them to be a sub 21 minute girl. And so what I've really tried to do is, is, is really focus on, those kids. And so that Shayla girl, I remember in middle school, she was running 10 minutes for the mile. And I was like, gosh, if we could cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's if we my could pace. cut, <laughs> I was like, if we could cut, I, I couldn't like, I, she was so annoying. I was like, oh my gosh, how? my wife's like, let me just, I have great assistant coaches. And my wife was really good. She's really good at working with those kind of fringe kids. And she says, let me work with her. Uh, and she saw potential that I didn't see uh, at first. And, that, and I learned a lesson from that because she ended up being a 15.45 4K runner, which converts to about a 20 flat, 20, 30 um, 5K runner. She ended up almost making state in the two miles. She ended up running 5.35 in the miles. She ended up running at SDSU for a year and then ended up at Augsburg. And I, I would have missed out on that if my wife hadn't kind of taught me that lesson. So what I've done is, is just take every kid and say, okay, where is this kid starting? Where do I think I can see him? realistically because I think coaches we do a horrible job of sometimes being unrealistic with kids so I try and be realistic and I say okay and then I just try and get them to believe they can do it and then here's what you got to do if you want to do it yeah so I, I hear you saying role clarity you know that's yeah. that's what is coming to my head when you're you're talking yeah. about this and and getting kids to understand that not everybody is a you know a, a top two runner on a team but mm -hmm. you have a ton of value if you can and again, I, I apologize for my 
in ineptitude of con- yeah. cross country scoring and, and all those things. But, but when you, you have that, that depth, how do you get kids to say and set realistic expectations for themselves without being like, Hey, you're not going to be our one or two, but you might be our four or five. And that's what we need you to do. And, and get them to be excited about that. It, it's hard. It's definitely not always easy. Yeah. Um, you know, cause every kid, you know, they like to be the, the top dog. But I think, you know, like I said, I don't overemphasize our bet. You know, it, the best runners they deserve, but you don't even have to do anything. The newspapers, the TV, the people like Jacob McClary, I don't even have to talk about him. Everybody wants to talk about like a Jacob McClary or a Keegan Hurley or a Maddie Van Beek or a Gabe Grunewald. So I don't even have to do much. Their, their ego is being stroked constantly. Um, so you can spend less time with those kids. And then when kids see you at practice saying, you know what, I'm not the number one runner, but he cheers just as hard for me as he does. You know, we, we really emphasize that. One of the things, I don't know if a lot of coaches do this, but I, I know that around here, I'm one of the few coaches that when I, I go out and I coach my junior high kids, I let, I let our junior high coaches coach, but I'm out there with them. I watch every junior high kid finish a race. And I don't know if all varsity coaches do that. And I think that's important because then they grow up in the program. It's that they kind of learn that Morris, it doesn't matter what number I am. He's going to, he's going to coach me. He individualizes my training. You know, he does everything that he would do for Jacob or he would do for a Maddie. And I think that's important. And, and when you can do that, then they can say, Hey, I'm the fourth runner. It matters. And uh, so you just have to make it matter. It does matter, uh, but you have to make them believe that you believe it. And, uh, you know, John might be naive to, to the workings of, of cross country scoring and all this stuff, but I've, I work with other cross country teams. I work, you know, in track programs and, and we talk all the time about, like if we want to go and compete as a team, our ones, they're going to like, they're going to score no matter what. Yep. It's fine. Like, and we had a kid win a state title all by himself, right? Reed Przinsky won a state yes. title all by yes. himself as a team in the track. And so like that can happen. But the best, the most fun experiences are when everybody does pull their weight, when everybody is bringing that bottom end up. And generally what separates cross-country programs, golf programs is scored the same. And what I would say what separates organizations, communities, families is when every contributor, right? You bring seven to a a varsity cross-country meet. When those seven athletes say, I have a role, if I finish here, Yep. Right. I'm going to drop down points from the team behind it. So if I finish ahead of these three girls from this other school, they get three less points or whatever it might be, you know? And so we're, we're understanding the tactics and the strategy and all this stuff, but we're essentially buying into, if I bring my best performance, if yes. I bring my yep. best performance, that's the thing that adds value to the team, no matter where I score, no matter what role I mean, if I bring my best and everybody else brings their best, we got a, we got a really legitimate chance of being successful. Absolutely. And I've had teams win it that way. And I've had teams lose it that way. And, and I bring that up. We talk about that all the time. I, I mean, there's my guys program. We've won, we've ended up winning, I think eight or nine, whatever state titles. There was a street, there was a period where we would have won eight in a row separated by 6.5 seconds. I've calculated it too. one year. We lost by 0.1, one year we lost by 2.2 and another year we lost by 4.4 and it was different positions. One year it was the number two runner. One year it was the number five runner. One year it was the number one runner. And then there's been a year in 2000 that our girls, our first state title when we won against Winona Cotter with the pain girls, we won with our seven. We were tied through five. Our six runner passed their fifth. No, we were actually down one. So we were down one through our fifth 
my daughter was our sixth runner in seventh grade. She passes their fifth. We're tied. Now we win the tie break. We didn't win on the tie break. My seventh passed their fifth. We ended up winning by one. And that was the cool. And it was a shared experience. And it was so cool. And I talk about that so often because kids realize, because sometimes you get in the trap of sixth and seventh runner. Well, we don't matter as much. We're just, we're just running. But no, they, they, they can see, no, we can make a difference. And that's what we always talk about. Our goal every year is to put seven in front of everybody's five. Every year, that's our goal. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. So talk a little bit about that. Cause that's some, that's a, clearly a physical thing, but it's also a mental thing that you have ingrained into the program of every runner matters, every place yep. matters. So is there anything that you guys do intentionally to kind of build that skill and reinforce that with, with everybody, but specifically, you know, those five, six, seven runners that it does matter. Yeah. I would say uh, there's two big things we do. One, we have a philosophy on our team. We call it touch a teammate. Uh, and we're perm. You probably remember this uh, being over at, you know, Pequot and Pelican. If you've seen us run cross country and thief um, we're, we're a close pack running team. Um, so we always talk about, I say, be able to touch a teammate. And now we're physically sometime, actually a couple of races one year, I actually physically made them touch their teammate in the race. Uh, but they get a little sketchy with COVID. So we kind of stayed away from that. Uh, but I, I'm meaning that you should be in contact with your teammate. You should be close enough to, because there's a comfort level with running with your team because you train with them every day. So if you're with your team, you just, you're not as anxious and things like that. And, and, and we, we carry that all the way down to the junior high, our JV, our junior high, our varsity. And we're talking about relative to where they're at. If they're in group six at practice, well, who do you run with at practice? That's who you need to be with in a race. And so we develop that pack mentality all the way down to even our lower runners. Another thing that we do, uh, I think that helps ingrain that into our culture is, is we do so much together. Uh, we, we, we have what are called running buddies. Um, so I pair an older kid with a younger kid and they develop a relationship all season and, and they talk. And so you got the older kid mentoring the younger kid and the older kid is talking about race strategy is talking about all the things that we do. So you're able to pass that on and kind of use the athletes to, to, to talk about what our program's about, because really, honestly, if, if, if a coach does what they're supposed to do, it should be the kids coaching about three fourths of the way through the season. Yeah. You get to that 75% of the season done. The kids should have taken over at that point. Uh, they should be the ones motivating. They should be one. All right, coach has got the workout. Let's go get it done. Uh, he's just watching now. And yeah. um, so we try and do a lot of that stuff. And, and the running buddies are not just good for talking about race strategy, but we, they have to write notes to each other. They have to ask about grades. They, before every other meet, they have to buy something like a Gatorade for each other, you know, write a note and, and do something you know, that develops a relationship. And you'll see a lot of these kids when they go to their graduation uh, parties, you'll see pictures of them with their running buddy, uh, a, a kid that's three years younger, four years younger than them. It'll be, you know, they're with all their classmates. And then you see this random young kid and you're like, oh, it's their running buddy. Uh, so it, it's pretty cool. So how do you structure that? You talked a little bit about some of the pieces of that. How do you structure that early in this season to create familiarity in that, in that context? Because I think, you know, we, we have a lot of these conversations where people give us some awesome ideas and then you hear from a couple, well, how do they do that? You know, what's the context? What's the, what's the structure? Could you walk us through how, how you get some, I mean, part of it is probably that those kids when they were seventh graders, they had yeah. a running buddy also. So they feel comfortable yeah. doing that. But how do you do that from the beginning? So we do, we, we keep our 
even though we practice girls and guys together, we keep our girls stuff kind of separate in that regard to our guys stuff. So what I do is I take our roster and I pretty much take, I just go from top to bottom and that's what we do right away. The first day of practice, they always, it doesn't always happen the first day of practice, but within the first two days of practice, they're getting the running buddy. And that's like the first day, the upper class one, when we get a running buddy, when we get a running buddy. And um, so I'll take a, you know, like a Jacob McClary and I pair him, I pair oldest up with youngest. And then you just work your way up kind of like a pairing, like you would do a, a bracket in a basketball tournament. So it's pretty simple. Um, but then I, I talk about it at practice. And when we get our running buddies, I kind of go through what the philosophy of a running buddy is. And they pretty much do everything together. So right away, that's how I check attendance at practice. I say, find your running buddy. So we show up at practice, 3.30, 3.35, practice starts. Where's your running buddy? You better be sitting by your running buddy. You better be talking about what's happening at practice that day. Um, we, we always make them ask about grades. Did they get the homework done so they can be able to go to the meet? They have to help each other on the bus. So if a kid's got a homework question, it's usually the upperclassmen helping the underclassmen. Sometimes it's the other way around, not always. Uh, and that's more, hey, did you do your homework? Not so much I can help you, but hey, you know, make sure you're getting stuff done. And then we uh, do all our strength training together with our running buddies. Um, so that kind of knocks out some of the, the uh, you know, drills. You know, running is such a, you know, when you're doing new stuff, you got to learn the drills, you got to learn the lifts, you got to learn the, the, the strength training we do, you got to learn the warm up, got to learn the cool down. So we do a lot of that with running buddies and it, it just, you know, it, it creates a, a pretty special relationship. We also do one other thing I was thinking about. I divide the, the team up, co-ed, uh, and uh, depending on how many people we have, we have anywhere from six to eight teams that we design at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year. And they stay in that team the whole year. So anytime we do, like we try and do one fun thing a week at practice, like we might play volleyball or we might do a balloon, water balloon toss or an egg toss. Uh, so they're competing in these teams all year. And so they come up, we, we always design a way to call their teams. Like I'll take like a crayon color and you got to take a crayon color, press a Marvel character and create a team name. And we do our time trial with those teams. So when we do our time trial at the beginning of the year, it's the eight teams competing against each other with their team name. And they stay in those teams all year long. And, and so like the day before race, that's who they do their pre-race with. They'll do. So that's another way to form another, you know, connection for, you know, through the team. And, so, you know, you, you talk about that team thing being such a huge part of what you guys do when it comes to end of season results, it's baked into everything you're doing from day one. I love that. That's a, that's yeah, a great yeah. call. So one thing that as a, as a coach, and I, you know, I have a different lens, not being from running, but I, I could hear a lot of coaches out there saying, well, yeah, okay, you do strength training and you do the workouts and you, and you have these running buddies, but what about the gap in disparity of skill and strength wise? How do you, how do you work through that? Because I think there's a lot of coaches that would say, well, I don't want my number one training with their running buddy who's, you know, our youngest and not yeah. pushing them. Yeah. So we do, um, Everything, I, I find the moments where you can put your number one runner with a seventh grade boy and they both benefit. So a lot of that stuff will look like, you know, when we're doing core or strength like that. Like if I have Jacob paired with a young kid, uh, Jacob was our number one runner this year. And I can't remember exactly. He actually had two running buddies because sometimes you get an odd number. Uh, but they would, they would do push-ups, they'd do sit-ups, they'd do all their core hip strength together. That's stuff they could do together. And it's, and, and you got to be okay uh, not worrying about the fact that Jacob's going to have to do some teaching. Uh, but Jacob, by that, within two weeks, they know what to do. And Jacob's getting just as much if he was doing it with our number two runner. 
obviously when we do hard workouts, you have to go by skill-based. So uh, in practice, when we have our hard workout days, which is usually two to three days a week, Jacob's running with the guys that he can run with. This year, it was a little bit hard because he was so much faster than everybody else, but he's training. There's six, seven guys that he's training with on training day. So when we go out for a run, his distance runs are done with his top seven guys. And then, so that's another way we divide up. We divide up competitively on our runs. So we have group, we had four, we had five guys groups this year and we had seven girls groups. And so they're divided up in seven to eight kids per group. And that's who you run with. So you have that other, so now you're, now you're not, just together randomly co-ed. Now you just don't have a running buddy, but now you have your training group and your training group is, is very specific to your ability and to make you better. And, and, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's really what it looks like to, to not hold those kids back. Cause I'm real big and don't hold a teammate back. For sure. I like, I think about this from the context that I'll just go back a couple of years. We had a girl coming into the season, she's 800 runner. We asked her her goal. She, 238 PR the year before she wants to run 238, yep. right? I want to, I want to, I want to break my PR. Well, first me of the year indoor, she goes 238, right? Yep. And so, so her training group starts as that 240 ish group. Yep. And then she no longer belongs there because she's a PR end of season PR, more like 228, 220, yeah. you know, somewhere in there. How, how do you remain that like flexible? Are you constantly engaging and assessing? Are you constantly like time, I, how are you getting that natural movement to happen so that you aren't holding, if you said, don't hold those top kids back as people progress, how are you moving them through that process? I constantly, every week, I think you have to, just like the classroom as a teacher, you constantly have to be assessing all the time. And I think as coaches, that's something we don't, if sometimes we get lost and well, this is who this person was at the end of the season. They're always going to be that person. They're always going to be in our top five, not necessarily. Uh, there, there could be so many things that cause them to either progress the right way or progress the way you don't want to see them progress because of injury, because of sickness, because of whatever. I had that happen uh, quite a bit on our girls' team this year where I had a girl that was in the top seven. She got a stress reaction. Well, obviously, she misses four weeks of training. I can't put her back in group one. Um, so we, you have to adapt. You have to be okay with, with making judgment calls too. Um, so I'm constantly every week I reevaluate their paces and I use like the best one uh, that I use. I mean, I've read and most, most co running coaches have read all the research. Jack Daniels is probably the best, not the drink, but the, the running coach, um, you know, you always have to throw that in there because people who don't know run and thinking, what is he talking about Jack Daniels for? But uh, he uses the V dot. I'm just a big believer in keeping it simple. Um, pretty much everybody has a different way of looking at it, but his is the most, I think, consistent, the most uniform, easiest way to do it. So every workout, I calculate paces for all 80 kids. I'm not, I don't do, here's the group range. Here's what Jacob's pace is for every one of his repeats that day. Here's what Caden Dahl's pace is for every one of his repeats. Here's what our back girls that are running 30 minutes for 5k here's yeah. where their pace is, you know, and then you have to even change the workout because maybe, maybe our top guys doing mile repeats, but that doesn't look like a mile repeat for a 30 minute kid. That might look like a 1200 meter repeat. So you adjust the workout. So they're the same, but they're different. Um, so you have to think about that and you have to be constantly assessing and changing. And it's a lot of work. Uh, I have a, Coach, uh, a former athlete, Brady Spiker, who's going to be an awesome coach. He's over at OTC. Um, and um, 
he says, man, I, I, I really appreciate everything you did for us in high school. And I, I want to do it this way because it's the right way uh, for kids. And I think that's what sometimes as coaches we don't do enough of is, is understanding, yes, it's, it's the team first, but the team is made up of a bunch of individuals and you got to coach yeah. those individuals. So coach, you, you mentioned in kind of in passing, but every great coach has assistants around them that contribute to what they're doing to talk a little yep. bit about your assistants and how you empower them to maybe keep track of some of this stuff and, or give them responsibility in, in the day to day. You know, I'm, I'm, I have amazing assistants. Um, probably, I think probably the best, I, I, I can't imagine that there's a team that has assistants like I do just because they've been here all 15, 16, 17 years. They've been all coaching that long with me. And I can't imagine another program has that. I mean, I have had zero turner of my assistants. One, I, once I've gained them, I've kept them. My yeah. wife, I, I, that one don't have a choice. So that one I just gained and she wasn't allowed to leave. Um, <laughs> but my other two assistants, once they started, they've been with me since they started. Uh, Penny Berkland, she's my newest assistant. She's been assistant. She's been with us nine years now. Uh, Brent Hansen's been with us eight, 17, 18 years. He's somebody you should get on a podcast because he actually was uh, chosen by Medtronic's Marathon as one of the uh, global athletes for the Medtronic's Twin Cities Marathon. He's, he's had a heart attack twice. Wow. And now he's finished a hundred mile race. Uh, so he'd be a guy to get on your podcast. He's amazing. Awesome. Uh, but he's been with me 17, 18 years. And then my wife's been with me since I started coaching. So I think consistency's big when you have assistance. Um, I'm not the best coach at sometimes giving them enough to do. I'm one of my weaknesses as I'm a micromanager and I'm not afraid to admit that uh, because they tell me. Uh, so I've had to learn as a coach. That's one of the things that I've learned through the years is to give them more uh, and, and even give my athletes more. And I've done a much better job of giving my athletes more to do, but sometimes uh, it's been a struggle for me to do that with my head with my assistants. But I think we've developed a really good balance in the last five to six years. My wife is good at the relationship piece. There's nobody on this planet. I think that is as good at, as my wife is at, she's a youth pastor at our church. We have a youth group in Perm that on a Wednesday night has over 130 people that show up every Wednesday night for youth group. And that started with 10, 15 kids. And she's got 130 kids showing up on church on Wednesday night. And these are kids that have been through confirmation and they're coming as juniors and seniors and stuff like that from different churches. So she's really good at relationships. She's good at connecting with kids. And, 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 and if I have a kid that I feel like is on the fringe, it's maybe dealing with some mental health stuff, especially, which is, is such a big deal in our, in our culture today. She, that's her expertise. That's what she does. She, she helps minimize drama. My other coach, Brent Hansen, he's really good at the training piece. He's the guy I bounce ideas off with workouts. He's like, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do we need to do differently? And he's like, nope, just stick to your guns. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Or wait a minute, we did this workout. This is our bread and butter workout. You don't have that in there. We need to have that in there. So he's that guy. And he gets out there and trains with the kids. So that's super helpful. And then Penny, she's been that person that can do a little bit of everything. Um, she's really good with that. She, she does with the relationships as well. But she also understands training because she was a runner herself. And my wife was too, she, but she was a hurdler. Um, so she doesn't always, she doesn't always get the distance part. Like she was a sprinter and hurdler. So she's like, I don't get all these miles. Why do we have to run this far? You know, I ran 300 hurdles, 400 hurdles. We didn't run this far, but everybody has their value and they, and they bring things to the table that I've allowed them to, uh, to really have an impact on our program. And it's a huge impact. 
the thing I love about that is you never once said what grade levels they coach. You never delineated by their JV, their junior high, their seventh, whatever. And I hear so much of that when I talk to coaches and yeah, sure. We have to have specific roles in some sports because we don't have that fluidity, right? Um, You guys are having eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade girls contribute at the varsity level all the time. Just like we were, you know, that that's the nature of running on, on the female side, right? Sometimes you find a boy that can do it also. But the thing that I love is that the language was here's their strengths. Here's their skills. Here's their area of, of contribution that is going to use them in the best way. It doesn't mean that they're the seventh and eighth grade coach. You know what I mean? And, and you value them in a similar way. I'm, I'm curious. I'm recently a second time father. Um, and you coach your kids and your kids have, have had success. They've, they've been good. They have been a part of success. And yet at the same time, I'm sure that everybody just thrust that upon them from the beginning. Like, Oh, you're the coach's kid. You're going to be six. How, how has that? Cause I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, as parents go, how do I, how do I help grow my kids? Even as, as runners in the thing that you're, you know, you guys have been great at, you've been great developing runners. How do you do that with your kids when they're like, yeah, it's just dad. It's, it's hard. I will tell you right now, I never thought it was going to be that hard coaching my kid. It's been one of the most difficult things I can imagine. And at the same time, it's been one of the most special things. Um, but I would, I would be lying if I didn't say it had its, its uh, um, fair share of struggles. Uh, just because I think, I think it's unfair sometimes to what head coaches have to experience coaching their own kid. Uh, because no matter how you spin it, people are going to think you're favoring. And I unfortunately have tilted to the negative side with my kids. Uh, I have been at times way too hard on my kids. Uh, and it's part of me just being motivated and seeing that my kids, my wife was a really good runner. I mean, I don't know if you, she's from Burndale, but she ran 57 seconds in the 400 in high school. She was a, ended up being a 60 flat 400 hurdle runner. Uh, she was a good high jumper, good volleyball player, just a really good athlete. I was just, I was good, but I, I was kind of more, I understood athletics. I had the athletic ability of I could go play basketball and I was a really smart basketball player. I, I wasn't going to jump out of the gym. I wasn't going to go and be physical with people, but I learned the game and I worked hard. So that was my gifting. Um, so I think both my wife and I, we had things that we were able to pass on our kids. Obviously my wife had a lot more athletic ability, uh, but I passed on just my kids have a, uh, a really good sense of, of understanding and, and very in tune and self-motivated. All my kids are like that. All four have been like that. Even my youngest right now, he wasn't really interested in sports, but now he is and he's pretty motivated. Um, but I think what makes it unfair is that, uh, like I said, at, at times I've been on the negative side, like my daughter, uh, Gracie this year, she's an eighth grader. She finishes eighth at state. I rarely talked about what she accomplished at practice ever because I felt like if I did, you know, kids would be like, Oh, that's his daughter. You know, he's, you know, it's, and it's not that it's not their fault either. It's just the natural tendencies. I think we have of, of perception of, of what we might think. I think it's hard. And my advice would be um, you have to be able to see your kid as your kid. You still have to be able to see that, that your kid, I think the danger is when you don't. And that's what I've done in the past. I've tried to treat them like, no, at practice, I'm not dad anymore. No, I'm still dad. I can still be dad at practice, um, but I'm also coach. And I think you have to find that balance. And it's hard. 
I, I still, I still wouldn't say I've perfected it. I definitely have gotten a lot better at it. Uh, my kids have definitely Elijah, my oldest child, he was really good young, but then he just got bigger. He he's, he's six. I don't know how this happened, but he's six, two and he's, he's built like a basketball player. And, um, he got a little bit heavier and it got harder for him to run cross country. And there was a point where the football team's like, man, we could get Elijah to play football. And he was kind of teetering. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I, and I told him whatever he wants to do, that was fine. He ended up sticking out the program. He's like, you know what? I'm probably not going to be, he ended up being varsity as last year. He's ended up being our seventh runner in the COVID year, uh, which was unfortunate because he never got to run at the state meet. And we we won the section that year. Um, but he says, the only reason I ended up sticking it out is not because of potentially running varsity because they, he says, I wanted to learn just as much as everybody else did about life in cross country. And that to me, I was like, okay, I did do it right. It just didn't, it wasn't always perfect all the time. And I just think you have to be aware of the fact you're not going to be perfect as a coach and a dad with your own kids. You have to be realize that if you can see the whole picture it'll make up for so many mistakes that you make as a dad and as a coach when you're coaching your own kid. So while we're talking about coaching and coaching styles, you've been at it for 20 years in Purim now. And yeah. I, I think we hear a lot about how, Oh, kids aren't the same. You got to coach differently. How have you adapted in these 20 years? If there was one thing that you've changed from the beginning to now, what would that be? And what piece of advice would you give to coaches that are maybe just starting out? Oh gosh, it, it is, they are different. Uh, I think probably the biggest thing that I think about, I, I think about two sides to it. I think about how, what they are physically, you know, what are they going to be able to handle? I used to be, well, every kid can get to this certain mileage. Every kid can get to being able to do this certain type of a workout. And I think that, I think this transcends whatever sport you're in. Um, I think you have to look at it from a physical standpoint, you know, especially as much as kids are doing today. Uh, they play so much more. They do so much more organized stuff. Um, so you have to be aware of that because bodies are going to break down. So that's probably one of the things that I've, I've tried to keep in, in the forefront of my mind is you're training kids, regardless if it's running, volleyball, basketball, whatever, you're still physically training. And so you have to keep in mind, where is that threshold of where a kid might break down? Uh, because it's different. I, I do things. I had a kid this year. He was my number you know, anywhere from number three to five runner, he didn't get to run a step this summer. And he only came out for cross country as a, as a sophomore because of COVID, he decided, well, I'm going to try this versus football. And he ended up being a really good runner. Uh, he ended up running 17, 20 for 5k this year was, you know, on our state team that was second place. And, uh, but he didn't run a step this summer because he got a stress fracture. So he comes in the first day of practice has zero mileage. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do with this kid? I want to get him to the point that I usually would get my kids to, but it's just not going to happen. Uh, I think the furthest he ran this season was six miles. And I was always constantly saying, okay, here's our workout. You're going to do this much of the workout um, and, and be okay with that. And, it, and sometimes that's a little scary because you think, well, they have to do this much because this is what I did in the past. So I think from the physical side, and then I think from, from the mental side, the personality, all the things they bring. Uh, when it comes to who they are as a person. And, and that's, that's difficult too, because you have to think about, um, you know, what kind of schedule they have outside of cross country. What does their life look like? Uh, what are they involved in? Are they, the, are they the outgoing kid? Are they the kid that's in their shell still? 
what does their home life look like? Uh, what does their school load look like? Is this a kid that goes home to the farm? Is this a kid that works after cross-country practice? Is this a three-sport athlete? Is this a kid that cross-country is not his number one thing? Maybe it's to get in shape for basketball wrestling. You have to think about all those things and, and you have to be okay with it. I think sometimes as coaches, I used to get offended when a kid would come into my program and say, cross-country is not number one. I tell kids straight up, I say, you know what? I know this is your second or third thing, but it's just as important to me that you're here and you're not down on my totem pole just because you like basketball better. I think as coaches, we sometimes get offended by that and you have to be okay with that and not make them feel bad because they like golf better right. or they well, don't we, run. Tr- yeah. yeah. Cause it becomes about us then and not about the kid and what's best for them. 100%, it's about us. I agree. Yes. And that, that's hard because I have kids that will run cross country and almost all of them run track, but I do have some that cross country that are good runners that do baseball or golf. And I want to go and support those kids wherever they're at. And I think that's one of the things I've had to learn to do because my early coaching years, I probably didn't do that very well. Yeah, I can, I can echo that too. You, you see a kid that runs cross country and then is a really good softball player, you know, right. There's, there's yep. a girl at Pequot I'm thinking about right now. she you know, been an all-state cross-country performer would really help us on track. Absolutely. But she's a, she's a dynamite softball player, and that's her love, right? That's what she does most yep. of the year. And so go and do that. Love that thing. Live that thing. It's not – it's no offense, right? None yes. taken. I, do I want you to be a part of us because I think we can grow you? Sure. Like Because I think yes. we can help yep. you and make you a better person too because I want, I want to have that influence, and you're an awesome kid, and we want you with us. Yeah, but – but – what's best for you? What, you know, like not what's best and, for us, not what's best for me, what's best for you. And you made me think like one of the things I've tried to remind myself in the last 10 to 15 years, probably not 15 years, but at least 10 years is that it's their life. It's their experience. I'm a part of it. And I'll always be a part of their life regardless of what they do. But at the end of the day, when they get out of high school, I want to make sure that this is what they wanted to do, that this was the journey they wanted to be on. And like I said, that's something I struggle with a little bit with my own kids. Like, forcing, I don't want to force kids down a path and, and you want them to make that choice because when they do going back to the motivation, then the motivation is a little, is, is going to be a lot easier. Yeah. What a, what a great place to end coach. It is their journey, right? Our job yeah. is to facilitate it and help it in whatever way we can. We're so grateful you joined us. We, you know, from afar, I said we were, we were rivals, competitors yeah. right but what yep. i always felt like we were competing with you guys not competing yep. against you guys you were drawing our, our level up and i think you did that for us today thanks and good luck you know this spring next fall as you go definitely um be well man thanks yeah thank you so much i appreciate it let's just record jamie don't overthink it you were going there what do you got for us i think the thing that that lands so specifically to me you know, being a coach that, that's been around running and, and sport and, and track and cross country a lot is how individualized and team oriented it is. Like it is both and, right? It's not just we're going to individualize training. We're not just going to individualize relationships. We're not just going to individualize all these pieces. We're actually going to couch that in we have a team oriented process also. And and I think in my experience that working with teams, working with individuals, like it has to be both. They can't be one or the other. You have to be willing to take on the burden of individualization for your people so that you can grow them. 
And then you have to get them to buy into the community so that they feel supportive enough to chase the growth and the discomfort of the growth. And what an amazing thing that they do for their athletes to reach these just insane levels of success and consistency. But it ha- it's couched in both of those things. I, those were the, the themes that kept coming up, just felt like they're part of the same thing, even though as coaches, we feel like they're opposite sometimes. Well, how do I build team unity and cohesion when I'm spending all this time individualizing their workouts, individualizing the groups that they're on? Well, you, you give them chances to compete together. You give them running buddies. You do some of the things that he's talking about. I think, I think it's awesome. Yeah. And it comes back to relationships, right? And I think he did an excellent job, not only talking about a coach athlete relationship, but also them developing the athlete athlete relationship and how much that impacts not only their continued, you know, stability and consistency, like you talked about, but also just lifelong relationships and understanding of this person poured into me, I'm going to pour in to the next you know, and so on and so forth. And what an incredible skill and gift to give young people, old people, everybody. I'm going to give of myself because I was given and it's going to grow both of us. Yeah. And, and like you say, that that's not an easy thing to create the structures to get to that place. I think, you know, we take it for granted when they, when they run smoothly when, when they're up right. and running and moving, I think we forget how, how challenging it might be to develop, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it to develop those skills because then you find, you know, like I, he talked about, we would have won eight straight state championships because just minuscule little differences. Well, you handle those disappointments really well when you do it together, you know, you handle those excitements and those challenges and you say, okay, that's going to motivate us to do it differently next time around because we're we're together in this thing and we have these structures in place that just bear some of that weight you know bear some of that challenge and and you don't have to do it by yourself or even with a teammate it's it's with the team the program that 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 support is there and i i you know i think we talk about how do we how do we do this thing well i perm cross country is doing it well for sure Yeah. I I think the other thing that stood out to me, Jamie, and this is in everything in business, in schools, in athletics, if your people don't feel valued, if they don't understand that they matter to you. And if, if you are the head coach, if you're the leader, if you're the manager, you're the whoever, and they don't get that connection and that interaction with you and feel it. Like he talked about knowing, I know if every kid is there, and if I don't, if they're not there, I'm texting them, I'm connecting. And I think as a coach, that's hard sometimes, especially if you're talking about 80 kids, 100 kids, whatever your number is for bigger teams. But at the same time, how much more impactful is it when that kid isn't there and they get that message that says, hey, are you okay? How are you doing? You matter. We need you. We want you to be here. And when your number 36 on the totem pole, Right. still getting that call. Like you, you don't just matter because you bring value, you value the value you bring matters to us, right? No matter what it is, no matter what the, the thing that you bring to the process is. And, and the thing that struck me is like, there's no secret. It's actually really, really easy. Right. Just say hi to them all. 
know that they're there. like, <laughs> it, it's not, it's not that challenging to develop these sort it's loose connections, create strong bonds, right? It's that thing that we've said a million times. Can we connect loosely enough to have people buy into us and give something of themselves to the, to the greater process. And, um, well, and that's, and that's where greatness comes from in organizations or teams, Jamie is, is not the elite of the elite. I think that's something that has become more and more apparent with all of these conversations. It's not our number one runner, our number one athlete, our top performer. It's how do we get those 36th on the depth chart or on our org structure to just to, give their best, right? To give to their best give and, under, and understand what their role is, right? And say, hey, the, I need to be the best at this right now today. And it matters to everybody else. Love Incredible it. stuff. Thank you for joining us. As always, we appreciate you, Jamie. I appreciate you. Listeners, if you're out there and you want to get a hold of us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, eyesupmindset at gmail.com. If you have somebody you want us to interview or think has a cool story, we're always taking referrals and suggestions because ultimately the stories are what matters. Jamie has to move you to take action, to do something different, to live in a different way. So we appreciate you joining us on this journey. And as always, live eyes up. <laughs>